Oh, crap. It's been nearly two weeks, and I haven't uploaded a new episode. What to do for those deserving listeners? I know. How about a double episode day? That's right. It's episode 211 on the local Sunday Sports Podcast, and we're talking about the Bengals and the NFL Draft starting tonight. Plus, opening weekend for Major League Soccer, how did FC Cincinnati and the Columbus crew do? The Reds fall from first to last. And Dragons starting next week. Plus, a few more items. And why is it taking me two weeks to upload another episode? All that and maybe more on the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast, episode 211. This is the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mallon, a weekly audio podcast that covers everything sports in the Dayton and Cincinnati, Ohio region. No faffing around, no unnecessary chatter, no focusing on that school in Columbus like other shows, just good, honest, local sports happening in Southwest Ohio, Northern Kentucky, and East Central Indiana. Be sure to bookmark sindaypod.com for ways to listen and podcast merchandise. Theme song by Kevin McLeod on freept.com. Here's your host, Lee W. Mallon. It's here again, ladies and gentlemen, local Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio sports. You can't hear that on Dayton Radio. Let's talk about the Cincinnati Bengals and the NFL Draft 2K21. Now, if you're a Bengals fan listening to this, I'm sure you have your team that you have subscribed to already. There are three main camps. There's Team Sewell, which I put myself in. There's Team Chase. And there's Team Pitts. So you have three great options there. And it looks like All three should be available for Cincinnati in the fifth pick. So the draft, it's just one round tonight, Thursday. And then I think two and three go Friday. Then the rest follows. So my big thing is we need an offensive line. If I see that injury happen to Joe Burrow again, I don't know if I can take it. Because when I heard, actually, I first saw it on Twitter after a hockey game. Once I saw that. Then I turned on the radio and just it was it, it the broadcast was just solemn. You know, I, I'm a big Dan Horde fan. I love listening to him call and you know, Lapham is very smart. He brings you the game quite well and you know, teaches you why. That broadcast just became solemn and the you know the execution of the offense after Burrow left just pip. So that's why I'm team Penny Sewell. And Dan Horde agrees with me, too. He does a lot of extra innings on uh, 700 WLW after the Reds games. There was one night I was picking up my stepkids, and he mentioned a quote in the Bible, which is weird. You wouldn't think that would, you know, comprehend in sports, but it's basically saying, you know, he built his house on solid foundation, And you know what you need to protect your quarterback? Solid foundation. So, 
that blew my mind. It was just like, wow, a Bible verse to get people thinking we need the offensive lineman from Oregon. I already thought, you know, we need more on the offensive line. Yes, I like the Reef deal. It's only one year. And plus, you know, what about the rest of the holes? You know? I think Sewell would be a great pickup. Yes, I do worry about the first-round curse that Cincinnati seems to be afflicted with. I mean, Burrow last year, Jonah Williams a couple years back. But I think the offensive line has to be a priority. Now, if the Bengals do not go Sewell, I don't think I'm going to be upset. I say that, and I just... I don't want Joe Burrow having to go through another rehab like that. The dude's the cornerstone of this team. We need to protect him. He's going to bring Cincinnati wins, prosperity, maybe even a Super Bowl. That'd be great. You know? We got to keep him upright. And right now, I don't know if that the move that the Bengals made is enough. But we look at this article from Patrick Judas on cincyjungle.com Now, I know there's a lot of people out there that are Team Chase, which would be a reunion, an LSU reunion between Burrow and Chase. And yes, Jamar Chase would be a game-changing wide receiver. Something that I don't think the current core has. I'll agree with you on that. Also, I think Kyle Pitts would be a game-changing tight end as well, but you know, you did pick up Thaddeus Moss after Washington waived him, which uh, that's another reunion for Burrow from LSU. And it's, it. Uh, I don't know. I don't think he saw the field this first year. I think that will be a nice pickup. So I don't know if I see Pitts getting picked, but we'll find out later tonight. All three days of the NFL draft will be on NFL Network, ESPN, and ABC, including two nights of pre- Excuse me, two nights of primetime coverage on Thursday at 8 and Friday at 7. So again, I'm Team Sewell. I'm Team Fix That Offensive Line and make it the fiercest you can in the NFL. I want teams trembling thinking about getting to Joe Burrow. No, I want that offensive line just steamroll everyone in existence. I, I do think Frank Pollock will make this line better. I think, you know, getting rid of Jim Turner was a great step in the right direction. Also cutting Bobby Hart. But I still think that if the Bengals pass on Sewell, I mean, yes, and I know what I said. Jamar Chase would be a great wide receiver, and I think he'd be instantly WR1. Although I think T. Higgins is due for a big year in his sophomore campaign in the NFL, too. So... Like I said, there's your three big camps of thought. I I just think you fix the offensive line with Sewell. Not completely. I still think, you know, get some stock pieces in case, you know, injuries start to wear. But there's also the possibility that there are trades being made to move ahead of Cincinnati. There's Four spots. I don't see Jacksonville or the Jets trading down. But at the same time, you know, it might be a possibility that Chase is gone. So you definitely go Sewell at that point. There's rumors that Miami 
who's got the sixth spot behind the Bengals, is planning to take Sewell. But I just, like I said, if the Bengals do get Chase, I'll be okay with it. I might be a little mad about the offensive line, but this draft is supposed to be pretty heavy in the offensive line help category, meaning the Bengals will probably go rounds two and three looking for offensive line help. But I I say if you have the best available linesman there, take him. You know? And I, I, I get the fact that the Bengals did not have a deep ball threat and Chase would be thrown into the mix. And I think Higgins would be better as well. But just that line. If Burrow's down on his back, you're not getting the offense moving. Protect your quarterback. Protect your running backs. Get some help on that line. And speaking of help on the line, something outside the draft. This happened yesterday. The Bengals will not pick up fifth-year option on Billy Price. The former that school in Columbus, Buckeye. Price will be an unrestricted free agent at the end of the 2021 season. So, you'll need a little more help on the line because you're losing a piece. But, we'll see what the Bengals do. Now, Anthony Munoz, who happens to be one of the greatest parts of the offensive line of all time for Cincinnati, one of my favorite Bengals, and also from Southern California, he mentions that he would draft Sewell although Oregon is USC's rival. There's an article written by Dario MacDuke just yesterday, yesterday evening. ESPN's Ben Baby argues that prospects like Sewell are becoming too rare for teams like the Bengals to pass on. So that goes with my theory. He's the best offensive lineman out there. Great stats. Get him. I do worry about you know, the inactive season that he had, you know, sitting out because of COVID, which I don't blame him for that one bit. That's not me saying, oh, he sat out for COVID. But what I'm saying is, I hope he's ready for game time, which, I mean, from here until the start of the season, he's got a few months. So I, I, I just hope that, you know, he stays healthy the whole time. So Ben Baby argues that an elite tackle like Panay Sewell is more valuable to the team than an elite receiver in Jamar Chase. Why? Well, Baby pointed out that the best college teams are placing more of an emphasis on the passing game, meaning you need a line to protect, which means they're not investing as much into developing their offensive lines, which is a shame. That's part of the game. You battle in the trenches. He mentioned Alabama, Clemson, LSU as teams that thrived without elite lines. Which, you know, they get the job done. They protect their quarterback, you know. But at the same time, I I feel like, you know, the Bengals are going to survive in the NFL North. You know, they got to fix that line. I mean, Cleveland, they're looking to prove that their one winning season in uh, how long? I think it was Reichs here in Dayton when they had the last. Okay, that's being too dramatic. But, the Browns are going to, you know, stock up and they're going to look to improve from last year's season. Baltimore's in there too. I like Lamar Jackson still. Uh, Pittsburgh, I, I just don't know. I mean, I, Ben Roethlisberger coming back, he just, 
it didn't look good in the last part of the season. Just Pittsburgh didn't look good throughout the whole thing. I mean, that lot when you lose to the Bengals on Monday night football, when normally, you know, primetime games are the death of the Bengals lately. Yeah, just that offense looked putrid. And plus, now they're out James Conner. He's now in Arizona, which, you know, it's a little sad because as a Pitt Panther, he had a great career and he just, he had a good career with the Steelers, but it just wasn't, you know, elite. You know, there was times where he fumbled the ball. It's like, you really fumbled that? Really? But, and no, compared to some people that claim to talk about local sports and have a vendetta against the Bengals because, you know, they dare to exist and take oxygen from, you know, his team. You know, I I think that uh, the Bengals will not be in last place of the North. It's time to turn the corner. Now, of course, if the head coach can't do that, then it might be time for you to go, buddy. I was thinking about his name, and I just blanked on it. And all I could think about is, you know, your name tree, calling him Diet McVeigh, which, you know, Zach Taylor is what it is on that. So Ben Baby is talking about how, you know, the age of the elite offensive linemen is running out because most teams are focusing on wide receivers, quarterbacks, running backs, that type of talent. Whereas the offensive lines are like, man, eh, as long as I keep them, you know, safe, it'll be fine. So I like, that's my thoughts on, you know, getting Penny Sewell into the Bengals fold. I hope that's what Cincinnati does, but I won't be mad if they pick Jamar Chase. And again, my reasoning for that is, are you really going to find a wide receiver like that later in the draft? And plus, the the reunion with Joe Burrow would be something special. A pair of Tigers becoming Bengals. That would be nice. But I just think, you know, fix that offensive line and fix it well. Make it strong. Make it just steamroll over everybody and, you know, laugh at the Browns or something like that. I don't know. But there's choices. There are certainly choices at five in the first round. And you better believe it when I'm broadcasting Bellbrook versus Xenia Day or Ballpark tonight if I have a game, if it ever... Oh, look, it stopped raining. Hooray. If I have a game tonight, I'm going to have my phone close to me so I can see notifications and hopefully... Hopefully, I have an episode next week, and hopefully, we talk about how Panay Sewell is a Bengal, or maybe Jamar Chase. But we'll find out more as the draft rolls on tonight. And now it's time to move from football to football as we talk about FC Cincinnati and the Columbus Crew opening weekend of Major League Soccer. We visit the website, MajorLeagueSoccerSoccer.com. Okay, it's MLSSoccer.com, but you get what I'm saying. And we'll tell you about the defending champs, the Columbus Crew, and FC Cincinnati. 
Currently in the standings, the crew have played one match and they drew with Philadelphia. Union are a very strong team. And currently, they're both at one draw apiece. Philadelphia has played two matches and are 0-1-1. One, one. one draw, one loss. Draws are ties, by the way. FC Cincinnati, further down the table in the East, currently 0-1-1 themselves after a blowout loss at Yankee Stadium against New York City FC. Man, I, I tell you, after that opening weekend game, drawing with Nashville SC 2-2, I thought, hey, maybe things are looking up. Things will be brighter. Nope. NYCFC decided just to lay a five spot on FC Cincinnati, and the offense couldn't do anything again. Oh, I know it's only the second week and the second match, but still, 5 nothing. 5-0. Really? Oh, it just... It just upset me seeing that result. It's like, I thought we were turning the corner. You know, yes, there was a 2-0 lead lost at National SC, but that was on the road. So, you know, it's still not great, and I'm not saying it's excusable, but oh, I just thought we were over giving up that many goals in a game. Whereas Columbus, again, just the one match and the draw with Philadelphia. Currently in the Eastern Conference, Montreal, actually that should be CF Montreal, they're currently one win, one draw with Atlanta and New England. New York City FC, one win, one loss. Again, that one win coming at home against FC Cincinnati. Hey, look, David Beckham's dream for a team they talked about for like 27 years finally is in the standings. And currently 1-0-1, which is a win and a loss in two matches. DC United, one win, one loss. Nashville with two draws. Orlando City, two draws. Columbus, a draw. Philadelphia, 0-1-1 with Toronto FC, Chicago, FC Cincinnati, and the New York Red Bulls. Two losses. They're at the bottom of the table. So yes, I know. Two matches in. It's not the time to start panicking, which I'm not. I'm just frustrated. You know, 5 nothing, Really? Mm. I know you, New York City FC is a good team. I know that. Well-coached, well-executing team. 5 nothing though. Just, ugh, I thought we were over that. For the crew, I believe that was a scoreless draw with Philadelphia Union, which... That surprised me a touch just because of the fact that, you know, this is a team that's got, you know, depth for days. And they were able to score. But again, Philadelphia Union, good team of their own. So I was pretty happy with the scoreless draw. Yes, I know. That's 90 plus minutes of no goals. Oh, my God. That's why soccer's so boring. But, you know, it is what it is. Next match for Columbus, the second one. At DRV PNK Stadium. Maybe that's Drew Pink Stadium. Montreal will welcome in Columbus May the 1st. And then at the Historic Crew Stadium, which again, I did not realize they changed their names until this year. DC United comes into town on the 8th at 
both the games I mentioned for Columbus will be on ESPN Plus, meaning if I'm free May the 1st, which that's a Saturday, isn't it? So no, I won't. And the 8th, which is also another Saturday. I might be free that day. Nope, I'm at Wright State. Anyway, you can watch on ESPN+. Plus. I might try to watch it during a downtime or something. But there you go. In case you're wondering, the new Crew Stadium will open July the 3rd when New England comes to town at 5 o'clock. That's on ESPN and ESPN Deportes. So that's your look at the Columbus Crew schedule. For the FC Cincinnati Orange and Blue, yes, a tough loss at Yankee Stadium, and yes, I went on about it a little bit too long, but it's time to turn the corner. Third match coming up. What is the third match? Let's load it up and see. FC Cincinnati 0-1-1. They will get their next match at Exploria Stadium against Orlando City. The battle of a lion and a purple shield and a lion with a sword. And that will be May the 1st at 7.30 on ESPN+. And then it's a home opener for FC Cincinnati. Three matches on the road. And Miami will come into town at now TQL Stadium. Yes, West End Stadium got a new name. And that will be 4 o'clock on the 16th. So an off week for FC Cincinnati. This will be on Fox Deportes and Fox. If it's on Fox, then, hey, maybe it'll be on 45. But there you go. That's your look at the upcoming matches. And again, I'm not mad at the loss. It's just New York City really poured it on. I thought, you know, we were out of that. Speaking of TQL Stadium, let's tell you about the new name of the stadium, which is going to open, you know, in middle May. This is from Forbes, and Tim Newcomb is a contributor for Sports Money, where he covers stadiums, sneakers, and tennis. So, let me let me start before reading the article going out the bat. Did anyone expect West End Stadium to have a name? I thought it was just going to be West End Stadium. But then, lo and behold, hey, there's a new name for the new stadium, TQL Stadium. This is a company that stands for Total Quality Logistics, and they have a few, you know, branch offices. I think they have one in Centerville. Now, this is a company that kept asking me to go to work for them, and it's like, you know, after I already had a job and everything, so they haven't contacted me in years. So, you know, but they contact a lot of new uh, new graduates of colleges and everything. So now that's their first ever stadium they have named after themselves. And the owner of the president of TQL Stadium said, that's not all we want to do. But going back to the stadium, this is going to open against Miami. Everything about football club Cincinnati was organically grown. Jeff Birding, FC Cincinnati co-founder and president, remembers the pre-USL days of going to soccer bars in the city drinking beers with fans and telling about his plans for a new team. That effort helped create a true supportive section, nicknamed the Bailey, that showed up with drums, chants, and smoke aplenty. After setting a USL record 14,000 average fans per game the first year, that number rose to 27,000 fans per game 
putting the club's planned 21,000-seat venue on the small side even before the final design. How are you going to go from 27,000 to 21,000? There's no way, Burning said. If you only have 21,000 seats, you're going to have to raise prices. Fewer seats is less family-friendly, and then you're telling season ticket holders, sorry, we don't have a seat for you. That's not the culture and values of this club. So other than the whole not succeeding in MLS thus far and the, now the third year, you know, FC Cincinnati seems like an organization that you know cares about the bottom line. Of course, what team doesn't? If you don't, then you're going to fail because, you know, you don't make money. And they also want to bring a good quality soccer package to the Queen City. So the design of the building... Oh, I forget. I should have pulled up that tweet. Who told me that they had flashbacks of it being like Synergy Field? I'm sorry, I forgot your name. Uh, I forgot who said it, but... Yeah, the outside with the uh, stripes and everything. It looks really nice. I like the design of West End Stadium. Just not crazy about TQL Stadium. But hey, it's naming rights. It's money. So, you know, I'm, you know, what am I? Just a fan that watches outside? Sure. So, a little bit more about the stadium. Every decision on the design was driven by enhancing fan experience or generating revenue. We want to be a winning team and winning teams take the best players and best players tend to cost more. With those two lenses dictating decisions, TQL Stadium had the widest video board in MLS, brought seats as close to the field as 15 feet away. That's pretty close. Grew the Bailey section to 3,100 seats with a 34-degree angle and add a roof to cover every seat and the venue. A roof is expensive. You cut the roof, you save money. But you also, saying to some fans, we don't care as much about you, you can sit in the rain. It's a proper football stadium because it has a roof over all the seats. The seats feel right on top of the field, the action. They have a great vantage point to enjoy the game, said Burning. Fans will also enjoy having a seat and cup holder instead of the benches at Nippert. So, yeah, the West End Stadium, sorry, TQL Stadium, it's going to be a jewel of stadiums in the MLS, I can tell. And I know I'm very excited to see not only one, but two new stadiums open in Ohio. I mean, it's a great time to be either an FC Cincinnati or crew fan. Or both, like myself, because I'm the most evil person in the world. TQL Stadium has the latest in DAS and Wi-Fi. Not entirely sure what DAS is, but Wi-Fi, you know, internet. DAS, I assume, has to do something with data and internet, but there you go. It'll also feature a food and beverage system that allows fans to order from their seat and pick up the item at a concession stand without waiting in line. The facade shows a unique lighting system that projects colors, words, and images on the exterior that, that we've already known, and it is it is really nice. Some of the seats are colored orange. It's the shape of the lion holding the sword, saying, ha ha, I got a sword with a crown. With the design already well-baked when the pandemic hit, FC Cincinnati still made tweaks, including going cashless so no money changes hands actually a thing a day or ballpark too which i might talk about that when we get there adding a self-ticketing system available through the app 
the addition of more grab-and-go concession items and largely touchless restrooms. Also, FC Cincinnati added famed Chief George Zappas as the venue's executive chef. To help monetize the building, TQL Stadium has 53 seats, more than double the league average, and four different clubs, all with varying price points and degrees of premium amenities. Burning said the more revenue the club can generate, the more they can spend on designated players. Throughout the building, Burning said the artwork celebrates Cincinnati history, especially the West End neighborhood and the dynamic beer culture the area has known since the 1800s. You know, Germans love their beer and Cincinnatians love their beer. Was you at the Oktoberfest in Cincinnati? That's a sign at Trader's World, but anyway. In the venue, expect over 180 beers available to fans. It's a lot of beers. The first event in the building is May the 1st, Saturday, a ribbon cutting and a neighborhood open house with SC Cincinnati sending personal invitations to folks in the West End, encouraging them to come in, walk around, and enjoy food and beverage specials while watching West End Pride youth soccer teams, a program started and funded by FC Cincinnati, that brought youth soccer to an area of the city that previously didn't have it. You think West End, you think, you know, Stargell Stadium, and that's where Cincinnati Public Schools football plays, with the exception with throw, they got their own field on campus. These kids will play the very first games in the stadium in front of neighbors and family, Burning said. A May 2nd event allows season ticket holders to explore the venue ahead of the two MLS matches at TQL Stadium in May and one in June. Currently capped at 25% capacity per health guidelines. I think the Reds bumped it up from 30 to 40%. And I think, you know, this will loosen up, hopefully. We don't have another bad wave of COVID like happening across the world in India. No. Just, yeah. Not talking more about the virus. The last big milestone for FC Cincinnati before opening the stadium in May was the announcement of the naming rights partner joining Total Quality Logistics on a long-term agreement, a company founded in 1997 in Cincinnati and now the largest privately held company in the city. That part I didn't know. I know they were pretty large. And again, like I mentioned, they hit up a lot of new graduates from area colleges and just, you know. I, I've heard mixed things about working at TQL, but that's beside the point. I never got an interview. With a workforce around the country of 6,000, Byrne, which is Kerry Byrne, the president of TQL, said that more than 25,000 of the employees live in the Cincinnati region and skew towards a younger demographic interested in soccer. Again, company targets new graduates that might be having a tough time getting a job. The multi-year agreement includes exterior and interior signage, a seating zone, a branded bar area, and the company's logo moving across the stadium exterior as part of the venue's lighting technology. So, it's uh, commercialized now, the stadium. It's not West End Stadium, but, you know, it sounds great and all, and I'm hoping that FC Cincinnati can turn the corner. I mean, these fans have supported this team through and through. Once they hit the pitch the first time, FC Cincinnati is like the Dayton Dragons in soccer. You know, they're trying to cater to the soccer folks and, you know, they have 
records in the USL. I think they're still standing. Not sure on that. But I'm just hoping that FC Cincinnati can turn the corner. And soon we'll talk about the new Crew Stadium once it opens in July. But right now, the Crew, one draw, and FC Cincinnati, one draw and a loss. Are you ready to take flight? Because that's what we're talking about next. The Dayton flight of the basketball league. Still my favorite name for any league that I've ever worked for. The basketball league. So Dayton, the flight are in their second year of operation. Brandon Harper is the GM and one of the two owners. And the flight currently have a two and four record coming into this weekend. The games are Friday and Sunday. And they're at Wilberforce University. Not very expensive to come in. Also, you can watch it. I have done two broadcasts thus far on TKDS Sports. And Jackson Lightcap has done the other four. So again, Dayton currently two and four thus far. And in the Midwest standings of the basketball league, currently Kokomo has a 5-1 record. The India Express have a 4-1 record with the Owensboro Thoroughbreds. The Columbus Condors are three and three. The Dayton Flight listed as one and three, but it's actually two and four. Flint United's one and four, and Detroit Hustle is zero oh and five. So this upcoming weekend is going to be a non-Midwest weekend for Dayton. They'll get to welcome in the Jamestown Jackals out of the East. By the way, in case you're wondering, Jamestown currently leads the East Division at five and one. There are a total of nine teams in this East Division. And currently, the Jackals have the best record thus far. So, Jamestown comes in. Also coming in from the West, the San Diego Guardians. Currently 5-0 thus far. There's only four teams in the West with the Vegas Ballers, the West Coast Breeze, and the California Sea Kings. So, more on the Dayton flight. This is a team I've had the pleasure of broadcasting twice for now, and both those games have been wins. The first one for Dayton was a 143-122 to win over Flint United, and also Dayton would take the second game against their in-state rival, the Columbus Condors, 127-120. to That was a much closer game between these two squads and a much-needed win for Dayton. So Dayton on the season, currently 0-2 on the road. They fell at Kokomo by 15 and fell at Columbus in OT by 3. Currently at home, that would be a 2-2 two and two record. Yeah, that'd be 2-4. Two and four. Oh, 2-2, two and 0-4, two, 2-4. Oh and four, two and four. Yeah, there you go. There's math for you. So 2-2 two and two thus far at home. And there are some players that you should come out and watch. If you're a fan of Daytonian basketball, there's jumping Joe Ballard out of Thurgood Marshall. He played, he had a really nice game against Columbus, I thought, especially closing in on the fourth quarter. So right now, that's the players list. Weirdly enough, on the Basketball League website, it only shows the first initial, then the last name. We'll go through the statistics. Currently leading the team 
in points per game in four matches recorded. Tyshawn Johnson, 29.3 points per game. Following up closely off the bench, 17.5 points for Jordan Bedford. This is a team that the guard play is outstanding. I mean, they really hustle, and when they get fast breaks, they just soar through. It's just it's outstanding. Of course, I made the comment on the broadcast, if you're named the flight, you better be fast, right? You know, flight, air puns, you know, Dayton, you get it? Leading the team in assists per game, you have Tyrell Means, 3.8 assists per game. But Tyshawn Johnson leads that category, about five assists per game. And rebounding, you have Calvin Fuller with 12.8 rebounds per game. That is followed up with 5.8 rebounds per game from Tyrell Means. And Tyshawn Johnson again, 3.8 rebounds per game. So yeah, Tyshawn Johnson, definitely some of the catalystic spark for this Dayton team. So again, the Dayton Flights, they play at Wilberforce University, and I recommend coming out to see at least a game. You know, try it out. Because this, you know, this is a basketball team just in their second year of operation. And the more fans, the louder it gets. I've had people tweet to me saying, I guess they don't play defense. <laughs> you watch pro basketball, most of the scores run up towards the 100s. So, you know, I also liked how the basketball league retweeted some of those comments. It's like, oh, that's like the subtweet burn right there. It's like, hmm, this this person thinks we don't play defense. Well, it's true. Yes, you're going to expect high-scoring affairs. The flight have scored over 100 in all but one game. I believe. What game was that? Let's pull up the schedule. The only thing I don't like is there is a game missing. Was that the last game against Owensboro at home? I think it was. I don't know why those last two games aren't in the stats on here, but it is what it is. I will also tell you the flight at one point had the number four hottest selling jersey, according to the Basketball League store. And if you like the colors red and black, well, it's right up your alley with uh, yellow highlights. I love them. I, I really like those jerseys. They cost 60 bucks. And, of course, the store mentions because of COVID, you know, shipping times might be longer. So you want to support your Dayton teams, I'd say buy yourself a jersey. It'll ask you what player you want. You know, pick one you like. And like I said, there's Jumping Joe Ballard from Thurgood Marshall, a Daytonian playing for the Daytonian team. So definitely I, I love being a part of it. It's been exciting basketball to call. And I'm scheduled to have Sunday's game against, was it, San Diego? Try to remember, James. Yeah, Jamestown's in on the thirtieth. That's tomorrow, and then Sunday at three, San Diego comes in. You wonder, San Diego in the West, why are they traveling from California to Dayton? This isn't a Pioneer Football League game. <laughs> no, it is because of the fact the coach from San Diego was from Dayton. So we'll definitely talk about that on the broadcast. TKDS Sports and the balling down south. Had an interview with Tyshawn Johnson, and it's a really good interview. I think you can watch it on 
Twitter on TKDS Sports. It's up there. We had it on our broadcast uh, twice, once for pregame, once for halftime. So, like I said, definitely give the Dayton Flight a checkout. They have two home games this weekend. Again, Friday at 7 against Jamestown, New York, and Sunday at 3 against San Diego. I'll have that call. And then Dayton goes on the road. For one game, heading to Central Indiana, take on the Indy Express, May the 8th. Back home on the 9th to take on Kokomo and the Bobcats, spelled with a K. This is a 24-game season, I believe. And towards the latter portion of the season, most of the games are going to be on the road. In fact, throughout June, Dayton is on the road Six straight times before coming home late June for two against the Detroit Hustle and the Indy Express to close out the regular season. Again, you can visit the website DaytonFlight.com. The schedule is on there. The team's up there. You can learn more about this program and find out more. You can even shop for Dayton Flight stuff. I do like the logo a lot. It reminds me. Reminds me a lot of the Dayton Stealth. And in fact, I said Stealth twice on the broadcast. I'm not proud of that fact. But it's a basketball. It's a red basketball with the Dayton skyline in there. Dayton wrapping around the basketball. And a Stealth Bomber flying out there. That's that's the reason I said Stealth. And I wasn't confused, I promise. And Flight on the bottom. I really love that logo. So, But again, DaytonFlight.com. Come out to Wilberforce University. Catch this team. They are a treat to watch. You will not regret it. Also, if I'm broadcasting the game, you know, stop by and say hi afterwards. Hey, remember when the Reds were in first place after four series? Yeah, not so much anymore. The Reds have kind of tumbled down, and it's time to talk about Cincinnati's professional baseball team. Off day today for the Reds. They're coming back from the Los Angeles Dodgers of Los Angeles, and we'll take on the Chicago Cubs, a team that's worse than the Reds. Man, that felt great to say. You know, it's like, you know, when you cheap out and don't pay a lot, you know, your players want to check out so i don't know i i still i still can't believe david ross is leading the chicago cubs oh, david ross was one of my favorite reds when he was in town and now he's leading the cubs so anyway let's talk more about the reds and not about what i was just talking about the cincinnati reds were in last place currently a game up on the chicago cubs cincinnati is 11 and 13 on the year in first place Four games over 500, the Milwaukee Brewers, who have been mentioned by MLB social media a couple times, saying really good pitching staff. The runs scored and runs differentials at plus seven. They've given up 91 runs while scoring 98. If you think that's the lowest, no, it's actually the Mets giving up 70 runs in the NL. And in the AL, that's still your lowest mark. Your lowest one in the AL is 85 by the Toronto Blue Jays. Everyone else has given up more than that. The Reds have given up 122 runs. Yesterday, it was a 2-0 disadvantage in the 8th, and Sal Romano came in and just decided to throw gasoline 
on it. To be fair, on Romano's credit, he got the first two outs pretty quickly, and that's when the Dodgers struck for six runs. So the Reds have scored 128 runs, so that's the most in the NL Central by a pretty large margin compared to St. Louis's 106, Milwaukee's 98, Cubs 99, and Pittsburgh's 94. Speaking of Pittsburgh, they're tied for second with the Cardinals at 12 and 12. Yes, I know. The Pirates have a better record than the Reds. Granted, I know. It's game back, and this this deficit isn't much. Just play better baseball, and you know the Cubs coming in, that might be the solution to fixing it. Of course, the Reds did win the series at the Dodgers, which surprised me. Reds went 2-4 and four on the road trip, could not pick up a game against St. Louis, but did take the first two against the Dodgers, which... I'll be honest, yeah, that surprised me. This is the defending World Series champs, Los Angeles Dodgers, and the Reds took two of three in L.A. So in the NL West, the Dodgers are tied for first with San Francisco. The Padres are now two and a half back at 14 and 12. Arizona, three and a half back at 12 and 12. And Colorado, nine and 15. Man, it's an ugly situation there in Colorado. So like I said, the Reds, three back at first. One back of second place. The Cubs coming in tomorrow. I, you know, that that series win against Cleveland was very satisfying. No. And then Shane Bieber came along and just shut down the Reds, which, you know, Shane Bieber normally does. He is a heck of a player. And I saw him with the Lake County captains. So, yeah, it's one of the players I saw come through Dayton. Not with Dayton, but you get what I'm saying. I saw him in Dayton. Uh, sorry. So, the Reds 2-8 and eight in the last 10. Pretty nasty streak, but the Chicago Cubs coming in. You know, this isn't the Cubs that, you know, should have won when they had the chance. Now it's... Yeah, they're not doing so hot. So I think this is the perfect time to, you know, get back closer to 500, and start rolling in May. Like I said, right now, the Reds are pretty good at home. They went 2-4 and four in their last homestand, with the Cubs coming in for 3, and then the White Sox in for 2. So a little bit of a taste of Chicago. And then it's off to Cleveland, take on the Indians for the final time this year. Then at the Pirates, then at the Rockies for four. So that's it's going to be a 10-game road stand before coming back home mid-May on the 17th. Four against San Francisco and three against the Milwaukee Brewers. A lot can change between now and then, but like I said, I think you got to really take it to the Cubs at this point. And like I said, it, it is kind of relieving to see the Cubs at the bottom of the standings. The Reds were first place and ranked as high as was it fourth? I think it was fourth in the standings or in the power rankings, which people constantly say are garbage, but hey, Reds were on a hot roll. They've cooled down a little bit, but seven and five at home and four and eight away from home and teams over five hundred, the Reds are nine and twelve against. So maybe that'll be something good. The Cubs are just two and seven away from Wrigley. And eight and seven at home, and against teams greater than 500, seven and 14. So, 
are taking on a Reds team that's under 500. They can get over 500 with a sweep and go to one game under 500 with a series win. And looking ahead to the White Sox, currently two and a half back of first behind baseball's best record in Kansas City. You thought that was going to happen? You're probably a liar or a time traveler, which give me next week's lotto numbers, please and thank you. And also, right now in the AL West, if you follow uh, sportslogos.net social media pages, you know at one point the standings read asshat. It was Oakland, Seattle, Houston, LA Angels, and Texas. Now it reads ash asked, which isn't as funny, but there you go. So it's a little disappointing to see the Reds fall from that, but still, I like the way they're hitting, and I think the Reds are going to do fine. I think, you know, getting out of this slump will be the best thing. We go to... Okay, let's... Why are the stats so wonky this year? Yes, George Foster is on this Reds team. Although it doesn't beat uh, uh, Bill Cunningham saying... We do not have Joe DiMaggio on this team. A couple years back on opening day, it's like, very good. He's probably been dead for years. Do you want a cookie? But I won't get into that because that's politics. And we don't talk politics. We talk local sports, unlike a certain station in Dayton. But there you go. Is there a way to... There we go. All players and not just the ones from history. Nick Castellanos leads the team in seven home runs. Is batting 308. Much better year than last year. Jesse Winker, 377 batting average. He's feeling it. Tyler Stevenson batting 359 in 15 games. And also Jose De Leon, who I don't believe is on the roster anymore. He was batting 333 before being sent down. Castellanos at 308. Tucker Barnhart at 302 in regular season. Not think he was hitting that well, but uh, oh wait. Hold on a minute. You can say the big weakness right now, two of them. A. Eugenio Suarez batting 125. Amir Garrett's not his old self. I tell you, what is the matter with you Reds fans that are harassing Amir Garrett? He had to close down his Twitter account. What's wrong with you? Yeah, he's struggling, but that doesn't mean you have to be rude to him. He's a person just like you and me. <laughs> you struggle your job. Do you have random people, you know, tweeting you, oh, you suck. I did at one point, but that's neither here nor there. But... Come on, show a little decency. You're not representing Cincinnati. You do not represent the Cincinnati I know. It just irritates me, you know? And Eugenio Suarez, this slump, it sucks. Don't get me wrong. He's got 38 strikeouts, which is towards the top, if not the top of the league. But he'll turn around. He's a great player. 
I just hope he turns it around soon, but I'm not going to go find his Twitter account like, oh, my God, you suck, you know, you know, get injured or something, which, yeah, that did happen, apparently. I didn't see it. But apparently someone told Amir Garrett to get injured. I'm just like, why would you do that? Why would you do that? It just breaks my heart sometimes, you know? You hide behind a keyboard and face no, you know, qualms about it. You can just be the biggest jerk. It just it, it irritates me. You know, if I'm if I'm not going to say it in front of your face, I won't say it. There you go. So, if any one of you think that you know I'm making fun of you, then you know I'll say it to your face if I believe it. So, anyway, Reds. Some fans need off social media and taking their keyboard away. But I still think the Reds are in a good position. We haven't even talked about pitching because right now starting pitchers looking pretty good. Actually, the bullpen looked really well in St. Louis, giving up what one run and nine and a third and still not being able to pick up a win. So that's pretty dynamite. I know I mentioned Romano giving up six runs yesterday. I mean, that's tough, but let's look at the pitching. I Bet we find it by going to pitching. Yes. Why does the ERA only show me three pitchers? What is that about? There you go. In case you're wondering who's leading in the win quality side, the win side. Don't know why I said quality. Sean Doolittle, 2-0. His ERA is a little bit high at 4.66. Jeff Hoffman, 2-1. ERA at 3.33. He's been a very nice surprise. With the exception of the game at Arizona where he gave up three runs, he's given up one run each game. He's worked 24 and a third innings. Nine earned runs, 10 runs total, 21 hits. Really nice surprise. Opponents are batting 236 against him. That's not a bad number. Doodle's number is a little higher, 250, but still, it's not the worst. Wade Miley, two and two. The last two starts have been, yeah. But the starting for Miley, you know, 2-0. Wasn't bad. Did give up a run. And then, is it Arizona or was it St. Louis? I forget which. TJ Antone. Man, that guy's been money. ERA of .66. One win, no losses. Seven appearances out of the pen. Just one earned run, four hits, and 13 and two-thirds. Luis Castillo. You know, five starts, one and two. ERA of 6.29. That's a bit high, but... He'll figure things out, you know, rough start. Yes, the opening day game, it was cold and everything not to make excuses for him, but he did rebound back. So he'll figure it out. Ryan Hendricks, former Dayton Dragon. He has made a couple appearances out of the bullpen since being called up from the alternative squad. No ERA, one win. And he struck out two in St. Louis in his first appearance. I got to listen to that on radio. I was like, there you go, Hendricks. He will be a nice keep in the bullpen. Tyler Malley's been excellent, one and one. His one loss was at San Francisco, where he's cruising along. Then Giants kind of ran up the score against him. ERA of 1.75. Sarnell Perez, I don't believe he's with the team at the moment. He's one and two, ERA of 8.31. Cam Bedrosian was, you know, sent to the. Actually, he was designated for assignment, then no one picked him up, so he's. Leave at the alternative squad. 
Bedrosian, ERA 11-12. Did have, what was, what did Jeff, uh, what the Cowboys say? Was it his slider that was working well in Arizona when normally it doesn't happen there? Alex Blandinos, we see more position players pitch. No ERA. Looking at some of the other ones. Carson Fuller. Fulmer, excuse me. Don't know why I call him Fuller. Carson Fulmer, 3.21 ERA, 12 appearances out of the pen. That's not bad. That's been a nice pickup for Cincinnati. Not sure why Pittsburgh didn't see him in his plans, but no, is what it is. Then we get to Amir Garrett. Like I said, he's struggling. And because people are freaking jerks, he had to close down his account. And of course, I've been seeing this guy that thinks he can do so much better as manager. He's just like, Amir Garrett's trash. Um, no, he's struggling at the moment. Amir Garrett is not trash. It's like, really, dude? You know, normally, he wasn't a closer. And starting in that role, yeah. He's got two saves out of four total opportunities. But yeah, two blown saves. That's not great. But you know what? Amir Garrett will figure it out. Sonny Gray coming back. 0-2 thus far. Worked a marvelous game yesterday, striking out, what, 11 Dodgers? Did take the loss. LA wanted 2-0. But he'll be back. Heath Hembry in three appearances. No runs given up in three and a third. That's not bad. Sal Romano, his ERA is up there at 7.04. And Lucas Sims, one loss. His ERA is at 6.23, which means that's a little up there. Although Sims batting average against is 107. So, you know, take those stats as you will. I read all the stats to you, but I think the Reds are going to be fine. It does start with the series against the Cubs this Friday for three. If the Reds could take two out of three, I will be happy. of baseball, the Dayton Dragons starts next week. That's right. The Dayton Dragons season starts in May. Normally, we'd be close to a month in already. Normally, it starts early April, but COVID and Rob Manfred's wet dream of destroying the baseball sport as a whole. Yeah, things have changed. I think this one's more on COVID, but I still don't like Rob Manfred. So there you go. The Dayton Dragons will start their season on the road. They will have six games at Great Lakes. Yeah, that's another difference, too. This year, I think just to limit travel and everything, we're going to see series of six in a row. Would you think playing three straight or four straight in a row is tough? (laughs) Yeah, this is going to be interesting. Because unless teams go a six-man rotation, which rarely happens, you're going to see the starting pitcher from Tuesday's game on Sunday again. So that'll be interesting to see. And then the Dayton Dragons have their opening day Tuesday, May 11th against the Lansing Lugnuts. Now the affiliate of the Oakland Athletics, no longer Toronto. Toronto went with the Vancouver Canadians out West. So Lansing in town for six, and then it's a West trip to South Bend. We will not see these Cubbies as often as we did because they're now in the West Division, you know, having Midwest League. 
Oh, that's another change too. It's not what is it? High A Central? It's just it's bull crap. Why? Just make everything robots and be done with it, Manfred. Ugh. Anyway, yeah, it's not the Midwest League anymore. It's High A Central, and it's going to look a lot like the Midwest League, with the exception of Clinton and Burlington getting the axe. We already talked about that. They'll start their prospect league seasons later in the month. And that also means, you know, South Bend had to make the move over to the West. And I think there was another team, no, 10-gap stayed. So it's now 5-5, five and five, and South Bend was the 6 to get the Hevo to the West. So Dragons will have two homestands of six games, two opponents, Lansing and Quad Cities, later in the month, and two road series at Great Lakes and at South Bend. Again, Six games in a row against the same foe. That's going to be weird. But it beats the alternative of having zero baseball. So there you go. So let's talk about the preview for the Dragons roster. There's only one, and Tom Nichols, the voice of the Dragons, released it just the other day about catchers and infielders. Now, if you follow the Dragons, you might recognize a few of these names. And you think, well, they must suck because they're back in Dayton. <laughs> Wrong. They do not suck. And they got a promotion. They're just not getting a chance to play in Florida anymore. Remember, Dayton's high A and Daytona's low A because of that switch. I, I don't know why that is, but it happened. So Dayton's now advanced A. And that means if you move on from Dayton, you go to Chattanooga, which isn't that long of a trip. I mean, it's still a long trip, but it's not as long as Dayton to Daytona. And then you go to Louisville. Then if you're good enough, you get to the big show, which is Cincinnati. So right now, Tom Nichols uh, predicts that the catchers will be Jay Schuyler, Eric Yang, and James Free. Schuyler will return to Dayton. He played the entire 2019 season with the Dragons, and he will get a promotion to high A Dayton. It's going to be weird that you get a promotion, but you stay in the same place. It's just like any other job, I guess, though. Skyler playing 109 Dragon games, only getting 31 off in 2019. Batted 260, five home runs, tied with Juan Martinez for the team league, and runs batted in with 50. So, yeah, consistency definitely was Skyler's name. Good behind the plate, too. He led the team in on-base percentage at 336. And I had a slugging percentage of 351. Dave of Dana Point, California, known as one of the top surfing locations in America. Yeah. Played his collegiate ball with San Diego, which also produced current Cubs star Chris Bryant. Skyler, best hitter on the San Diego team in his final year there in 2018, where he batted 342, seven homers, and played started all 55 of his games, earning the academic all-conference honors before being picked by the Reds in the seventh round of that June draft. So yeah, Skyler as your catcher one, that's nice. Now, it doesn't mean Skyler's going to be a Cincinnati Red. I mean, I like to think he will, but then again, I don't have the knowledge saying, oh yeah, he'll be a major league catcher. He might be, but it might not be with Cincinnati. really just depends what happens between then and now when he steps into the big show. I mean, we could hope, but that's not always the case. Also, the Reds drafted two catchers out of strong college programs in 2019. 
Luke Berryhill out of South Carolina was traded by the Reds to the Astros for Sionel Perez, so we don't get to see Berryhill. Actually, wait, is Astros still with Quad Cities? I think they are. Let's say they are. So, Eric Yang, the highest drafted catcher by the Reds in 2019 in the seventh round, same round where the Reds took Skyler a year before. Yang played at UC Santa Barbara. He helped his team to the Big West Conference Championship and a trip to the regionals. The Big West is a good baseball conference, which has produced a lot of dragons over the years, like Chris Valleca. He also played UC Santa Barbara. Michael Lorenzen, Justin Turner, Josh Fellhauer, Daniel Rankin, Devin Lohman, Dominic Deanna, and Taylor Sparks. A lot of those names I recognize from the very first team I worked for, for the Dragons. Yang was the starter three years, actually two years in 2018-19, spent three years at UC Santa Barbara total in his sophomore and junior years. Big season in 19, where he's second-team All-American by Baseball America. Big West Conference Player of the Year and a finalist for the Buster Posey Award as college baseball's best catcher. Played in all 56 of his team's games his junior year, batted 368, seven homers, and a slugging percentage at 54-5. Sound a little familiar to Jay Schuyler there? Well, yeah. Might be another Jay Schuyler-type catcher, which was fine. Solid. So definitely looking forward to seeing what Yang can bring to the table if he is picked to Dayton. With this preview, it doesn't mean they're going to be Dragons. It just means they might be Dragons. The roster isn't finalized until May the 3rd. Yes, that's the day before the Dayton Dragons go to Great Lakes. I don't like that rule. I want to see a roster so I can talk about it and not like, oh, well, they're in Daytona. Sorry. Also, talking about James Free, he was an undrafted free agent after a great three-year career at the University of the Pacific. The fact that Free was not selected in this 40-round draft was a surprise to some baseball followers. By Baseball America, he was projected to be taken in the first 10 rounds. Yeah, and the Reds got him on an undrafted free agent deal. So, hey. So, Free played in the West Coast Conference, same conference as Skyler did, which also produced a lot of great dragons like Pepperdine, Zach Vinci, and Loyola Marymounts, Cassidy Brown, and Jeff Stevens. No, not the guy on Mix 1077. <laughs> Free had a huge freshman season, 2017, when his OPS was over one, while leading the conference in both home runs with 14 and 54 RBIs, and batting 343 in 52 games. So, in college, these batters could swing the ball. They could swing the bat to hit the ball, rather. Swing the ball doesn't make sense. So, good hitters, hopefully good defensively, should be okay at the catcher role. So, I can't wait to see what the roster will be like. Again, gotta wait till the third, that Monday. Now, first baseman, there's only one candidate. It's Brent Spillane. If you remember the 2019 Dragon season, Spillane started off struggling and then got hurt. And then after getting hurt, he played some of his best ball with the Dragons. And they got hurt to close out the year and didn't play after that. 2018's Big Ten Player of the Year at Illinois, also a triple crown winner. And like I mentioned, rough starts, 
and an injury that would end his season when he was playing his best ball. So right now for Spillane, it's about getting to your best ball quicker and avoiding that injury because I want to see what the first baseman can do. When he plays well, watch out. So it looks to be he will get a promotion to Dayton from Dayton. And he might be back with the Dragons. He's got the potential for a dramatic improvement in 2021, and I think he'll take it. But we'll wait and see. Wait and see if he's on the roster, if he's in single-A Daytona. Second baseman candidate will be Brian Ray. You remember him? He was a jack-of-all-trades. Can play in the outfield, play in the infield, play wherever. You could probably pitch and catch if you wanted to. He spent most of the 2019 season with the Dragons, probably my favorite player at that time. Led the team in slugging percentage at 464 and OPS at 789. Played in 66 games and 15 at second base and 46 in the outfield. Again, you know, the jack of all trades. He might have more of an opportunity as an infielder, though. Ray's big night with the Dragons came in Fort Wayne, July 27, 2019, when he broke the club record for most RBIs in a game with eight, bailed to two home runs, including a grand slammeroni, and surpassed the franchise mark of seven RBI previously held by four players, including, you might know these players, Adam Dunn, Joey Votto. I wonder what happened to Votto and Dunn. Well, Dunn retired. But I wonder if Votto's still playing. I just don't know. With the Dragons in 2019, Ray batted 281 with nine homers before getting the promotion to Daytona for the final six weeks of the season. Drafted from Miami-Dade College in 2018 out of the 13th round, the school that produced a lot of future big league players like Steve Carlton, Mike Piazza, Raul Abanez, Don Baylor, Bucky Dent, with others, batted, did Brian Ray, 400 with nine homers and 51 RBIs as a sophomore after hitting 404 with six homers as a freshman. His plan was to transfer from Miami-Dade to North Carolina State to play with the Wolfpack before that contract from the Reds dangled in front of his face. Back to multiple candidates, this time at shortstop, and both of these names will be new in Dayton. Ivan Johnson, Quincy McAfee. So Johnson was drafted in the fourth round of Chipola in 2019, signed to Greenville, and played 46 games for the G-Reds. Hit 255, six homers, 11 stolen bases, slugging percentage at about 42%. Started 33 games at shortstop and another 11 at second. So middle infielder there. Came out of Kennesaw Mountain High School in suburban Atlanta, where he was a teammate of Tyler Stevenson. Hmm, wonder where Stevenson is now. Oh, yeah, the Reds. While Stevenson entered professional baseball right out of high school, Johnson enrolled at the University of Georgia and then transferred after one season at UGA. Johnson would spend the 2019 campaign at Chipola College, a powerhouse junior college program in Florida, that went all the way to the National Junior College World Series with Johnson as their best hitter. Played in 57 games, batted 381, nine home runs, a slugging percentage of 58.7, 14 stolen bases, nearly as many walks as strikeouts, an OPS of 1.078. So, Promising. He's the 12th prospect in the Reds organization by Baseball America. And it also says that he's got the ability to become a major league starting infielder. That should tell you something about his prowess. 
Now, of course, that's not a promise that he's going straight to the MLB. That's saying if he puts in his work, does great, you know, he has a chance to make it to the show, which is awesome. Quincy McAfee was a starting middle infielder at Pepperdine for three seasons, beginning with his freshman year in 2017. The Dragons All-Star shortstop Zach Vinci played the same position at Pepperdine five years before McAfee would arrive on campus. McAfee batted 310 in 2019 at Pepperdine, connecting on a pair of homers with a slugging percentage of 433. This was a 26-round pick in 2019, and he would be sent to Billings, rookie ball at the time, where he was a key contributor to the Mustangs' run to the Pioneer League playoffs. He got fired in August after a slow start, finished 291 in 60 games. Remember, this is the Pioneer League where, you know, most of your batting averages are pretty high. It's a good hitting league. With one home run, he hit just 214 after his first 37 games. But from August 9th on, hit 405 the rest of the drive. A huge prep career at South Lake High School in Houston, Texas, where he hit 537 as a senior and selected as the largest school in Texas, 6A All-State shortstop in the Houston area, 6A Player of the Year. That's saying something when you are that big of a city's shortstop of the year and player of the year. I should tell you something. Third baseman, one familiar name, it's Juan Martinez. Starting third baseman for the Dragons in 2019, tied for the team league in RBIs with 50, played in 129 games with Dayton, batting 238 with eight homers. A native of Venezuela, ranked as the 22nd best prospect in the Reds system, entering his season with the Dragons. Originally signed with the Reds as a 16-year-old following the 2015 season. Vance fairly quickly in the Reds system, played in Billings in 2018, with his best professional season. Didn't hit a home run in 2016-17, but with the Mustangs, he had eight. A 274 batting average, a slugging percentage of 47. The other player is Victor Ruiz, the starting third baseman for the Billings Club that went to the playoffs back in 2019. He signed with the Reds as a free agent out of Mexico three days before he turned 17. Ruiz was a catcher in 2017 and 18, but then converted to third base the next season. Played 60 games with Billings in 2019, batted 270 with one home run, a career batting average of 266, three homers in 118 games. So that's your look at the catchers and infielders. Again, Tom Nichols wrote all that. I just spouted on this podcast telling you about who you can expect as a catcher and the infielders. And as of right now, this recording of episode 211, no more previews. So we got outfielders, pitchers to go, while well, starting pitchers and relief pitchers. Like I said, I like working with the Dragons. I like seeing these players get a chance to move up in the system, and I, I can't wait for opening day. It's going to be, I think it worked almost every opening day since 2012, if I remember correctly, which is awesome. Normally, there's a big ado about things, like there's big celebrations, everything, and definitely with, you know, COVID, it's definitely going to be a big celebration for those that can make it to Day Air Ballpark. Still going to be weird that it's Day Air Ballpark, not Fifth Third Field. In fact, I've done many high school baseball games there, which I'll talk about later. And yeah, it's still weird to not call it Fifth Third Field. But it's a local 
company that's sponsoring the naming rights. So that's pretty cool. The differences are pretty nice with the Centerfield Flats and the local cantina right behind the outfield entrance. So definitely looking forward to getting the chance to see the Dragons, but they'll be on radio Tuesday through Sunday at Great Lakes. Now the question is, will the broadcasting crew travel to Great Lakes and road games the rest of the season? I don't know, honestly. Minor League Baseball broadcasters, which hopefully I become one one of these days, they're going to be leaned upon heavily this year because not every state has the same restrictions, you know. So if you can't get to your ballpark, you're going to have to listen to it on the radio or watch it on TV, which, by the way, Dayton CW will have the weekend games again, which will be nice. But, you know, it's I, I don't know the answer to that question. I assume that if the that answer is no, then, you know, there's a screen you can watch what's happening and hopefully there's no delay in it. But we'll see. Again, May 11th, that's a Tuesday, 7.05, first pitch. Dayton Dragons welcome in the Lugnuts from Lansing, Michigan. So you might be wondering, another two weeks for our new episode. Lee, what have you been doing? You've been sitting on your butt all the time. Well, I can probably say, no, I haven't. I've worked nearly every day. I helped raise two stepdaughters. And, you know, still trying to get things ready for a move, which I probably need to tackle after getting the podcast done. But. I've done a lot of stuff this spring. I've done a lot of stuff, period, in my career, but let's not tackle that today. I'm talking about this spring. It's been a very, very busy time. I've done one game for WPTW. Hopefully, I'll get to do a couple more in the upcoming weeks. I've done a lot of stuff for TKDS Sports. I mentioned getting to do baseball day or ballpark. Can't wait to talk about that. I you know, got to do a couple games of the flights. And the past two weeks, I've been away from Dayton Flyers because they got COVIDed. The baseball team did. Which stunk because St. Louis was supposed to come in. And I was looking forward to coming back to Day Air Ballpark for the Saturday morning DH. But it didn't happen. You know, COVID happens. I, I get it. And in fact, my game tomorrow got COVIDed with Madeira and Redding scheduled to play. It was another Cincinnati battle coming up to Dayton. But now there's a pop-up in cases. I'm not sure at one end, but I'm not going to try to pick which team it's on because that's not my job. I am going to say that does stink, but I'll probably broadcast something tomorrow. By probably, I mean, I'll broadcast something tomorrow. But... I got Bellbrook and Zia tonight. It's a battle of Green County, non-conference still between the Golden Eagles and the Buccaneers. I love broadcasting a day or a ballpark, and it seems like the games go by like that, especially the run world. Today, though, I'm not sure if I have a game because, oh, lo and behold, it's raining again. It's supposed to rain all day. It's kind of a cold rain, too. I mean, 
uh, just burr. And, you know, I like staying indoors where it's dry and everything. But, yeah, I've gotten a chance to broadcast some high school baseball. And my favorite event at Wright State, other than Wright State Games, happened uh, just earlier this week. The Reds High School Future Showcase. It was two GWAC games, Northmont falling to Springboro in five in a run rule, 10 nothing, and Miamisburg falling off a walk-off sack fly to Beaver Creek, 6-5. I love getting to do that event, and it was great seeing Zach Ritter, who I work with occasionally at ESP Media in Cincinnati, and also the son of Tom Gamble, the guy that I say, hey, I can do these games, you know? It's like, okay. But it was really cool. Jackson Lightcap was there for TKDS Sports, and I got to broadcast. So, yeah, there was back-to-back days where I was the PA announcer and the play-by-play man. Can your broadcaster do that? Don't think so. So, yeah, uh, Sunday, it was unexpected because of the fact that, you know, the DJ didn't show up, and originally he thought it was a 7 o'clock game when, in fact, Sunday games are at 3. So I got to introduce the starting lineups, Got to say, hey, welcome, don't do this, it's COVID, and stuff like that. So it was really cool. And then, you know, I focused on play-by-play once the DJ showed up. Whereas uh, the Reds High School's Future Showcase, I was asked if I could do everything by myself, and realistically, the answer was no, just because of the fact that, you know, I, I constantly keeping up the book, which I do that for baseball broadcast. That's not why I couldn't. It's just there's a lot of stuff to read. So that's my main job. The broadcast was secondary at that point. But it was nice to help out Jackson, you know, chime in when I could and work with Mitch Grambling of Wright State Baseball and Brittany Petrosky of Wright State Women's Soccer. So that was really cool. And that is still one of my favorite events in the spring just because of the fact that the event does come up to Wright State and there are a few games up there. And being a part of it means the world to me. So definitely had a lot of fun with that. I've seen one softball game, which hopefully I was going to see more, but that hasn't happened, which is fine. I saw a good amount of baseball. I've seen a lot of lacrosse this year too, which, you know, coming into the season, I've done a grand total of one lacrosse game, and I wasn't sure if I was doing a good job or not. This year I've learned, and I've grown, and I think I covered the sport pretty well. You know, for a guy that only had one game under the belt. I've done boys lacrosse, I've done girls lacrosse, and the difference between the sports are pretty substantial. In boys lacrosse, I shouldn't admit this because it makes me sound like an immature jerk, but I just love it when you see defenders just slap with the cross. That's the stick. Slap with the cross, just on and go whap, whap, whap. I don't know why. I I find that hilarious, which I know that's strategy, trying to get the ball loose out of, you know, the ball carrier's cross, but you get what I'm saying. I don't know why. It's a lot of fun. Lacrosse is a great sport. It's got so much of hockey... There's over and back in basketball. There's football flags and boys lacrosse. Whereas girls lacrosse, you can't really touch each other. There's no gear. And there's things called free positions where there's a fan. And that's a pushback too. I don't know why it's so different. And to me, I complain a lot about college basketball with the 
arcs being different, the three-point lines being different, which I, I hate. You know, it's time to treat sports equally. You know, women basketball players can hoop like the men do. So why why are there different standards? You know, but that's another topic for another day. So I've been doing a lot of that. I've been doing a lot of broadcasting. And unfortunately, because of that, combined with trying to move and, you know, getting, you know, raising my family. Yeah, this podcast has been put on the side burner, not because I wanted to. It's just because I don't have, you know, the time that I did. So hopefully that changes once we move and everything's taken care of. But then I still stay busy. It's Dragons and Champion City Kings starting in May, late May for the Kings, early May for the Dragons. And yeah, I I sincerely hope that I have time for this because again, you know, out of all the of all of everything in the area, I think I cover local sports the best. But yeah, it's it's just been really tough. It's been really tough to keep up with everything, and I do apologize. I don't like having long delays where, you know... And also, I got discouraged because I asked, hey, what would you rather hear first? The Sinclair Athletics story, which it's up now, go listen to it, or this episode first? Or do you want to hear something else? I got a grand total of two votes. My numbers have been down. They've been down hard. Is it because I don't like that school in Columbus? Is that because I say that school in Columbus? That's not changing. You know, if you want your, you know, that school in Columbus stuff, you know, I'm sure it's on 1410. In fact, I even deprogrammed 1410 off my radio just because I don't have a use for it. Reds are on 700, and I get it pretty much everywhere, with the exception of a, a brief second underneath that railroad bridge on Wayne. So I don't need 1410 for that. And plus 700 sounds a heck of a lot better. Uh, audio quality wise, I mean. And again, the the only sports talk show in Dayton's turned to be Buckeyes and Browns. And if you like the Bengals, you are a worshiper of Satan and deserve to be nailed to the cross and floored away or something, which I don't appreciate one bit. So, yeah, I mean, I, I've which I, I know that's another topic for that. But, you know, if you, the listener, could do me one favor, I don't ask for much. I honestly don't. I don't ask you to buy stuff when there's sales on Public or Redbubble. I don't, I don't ask you to. I just tell you that's on sale. Go look if you're interested. I, 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 the only thing I ask is just listen to my podcast and, you know, let me know if I'm doing a good job or not. Well, this time I'm asking you to tell your friends about this podcast because of the fact that I feel like this podcast is great quality. I know what I'm talking about most times and I cover local sports because this is my hometown. This is my home area. This is where I grew up in. And right now I can't, you know, get a word and edge wise about, you know, getting a job here to do the thing I love, but you know, this podcast is a way for me to show, you know, people that yes, I can run a great sports talk program. Yes, I can talk about local sports. Yes, 
I know what I'm talking about. So if you could share this with your friends, say that, you know, this guy would like for you to listen to his podcast, his craft, and hopefully you enjoy it. If not, that's okay. You know, move along and that'll be fine. I just, I want more of a listener base because of the fact that only getting two votes on that poll kind of, you know, deflated me a little bit. And I just like, eh, doing what I can. I know there's people that listen to this podcast and I appreciate you people. I really do. I just want, you know, it back to where I had about 200 listeners per week. I shouldn't admit this because I know, you know, local host is probably going to laugh at me, but right now it's about uh, 30, something like that, which I know I shouldn't be asking for numbers. That makes me sound like a desperate tool, but you know, it's better when I have people chiming in, you know, when's the last time I did a Malin's mailbag where I got questions, I answered them, you know, I I love to see more questions. I might try to do that for 212, but yeah. So please do me a favor and spread this podcast around to those that you love. It's clean. The only dirty word I said was asshat, but that's because, you know, the AOS standings actually spelled that out. Thank you, Oakland, for being on top. Also, thank you, Sean Murphy, for representing the area quite well. Speaking of local pros, Jerry Blevins, who played his collegiate ball at the University of Dayton, recently announced his retirement. And also, former head coach and current of the Dayton Flyers and current head coach of the Wilmington College Quakers, Tony Vittorio won his 700 and 701st games in his all-time coaching career. Congrats to Coach V. Definitely a guy that I like talking to. And a big honor for a guy that's really worked his tail off around the area. So that will do it. That's episode 211 on this double episode day. We talk local sports for about an hour and a half, a little bit more because I'm going to wrap it up with, you know, a closing and everything. Also talked about the future of Sinclair athletics. Go listen to episode 210. If you haven't, if this is your first one today, or if you have, you know, wait until the next episode, hopefully it will be out you know, sometime early in May. My name's Lee W. Mallon. You can follow me on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the Lee W. Mallon. And also you can follow the podcast, Sinday Pod, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It's C-I-N-D-A-Y-P-O-D. It is your source of local sports. And it's proud to cover the Cincinnati and Dayton area. In case you're wondering about high school baseball games coming up, well, the schedule... There's not a lot of games left. Tonight, if it uh, stops raining for, you know, more than two minutes, Bellbrook will take on Xenia. Tomorrow's game, Madeira and Redding, has been postponed. They are going to try to make that up at Dare, but no guarantees. And Saturday, there's three games. There will be Lima Perry and the Commodores against Riverside. Lynchburg Clay against Blanchester. And Northwestern, I assume that's Springfield Northwestern. There's so many Northwesterns taking on Van Wert Saturday, Sunday. There's two Brookville and Tippecanoe get it on and Covington St. Henry follows Thursday, the sixth Richmond and Union County for a little Eastern Indiana battle visiting Dayton. 
Remember, they're part of the Miami Valley, so we talk about Eastern Indiana sports too. Carroll and Alter, May the 7th, followed by Lima, Bath, and Minster. And a quadruple header to close out high school baseball. Starting at 10 a.m. Saturday the 8th, Miamisburg, Middletown, then Spencerville, Botkins, Lebanon, Greenville, and Bethel, Fort Loramie should close out our high school baseball chapter. Again, hopefully 212 will be out sooner than later. This is Lee W. Mallon signing off. Thank you for listening to the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast, episodes 210 and 211. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. Be sure and bookmark SindayPod.com, the official website of the local Sunday Sports Podcast. From there, you can find your favorite way of listening to future episodes on platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Pandora, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, and more. You can also find the Redbubble and Tee Public shops there too, where all podcast merchandise purchases go to help the podcaster. Follow on social media at Sunday Pod and the Lee W. Mowen on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. This closing theme was created with the Splash app. This is Lee W. Mowen saying thank you again for listening, and we'll talk more local Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio sports next time. <laughs>